Hebrews 13, and I want us to look here toward the end of the chapter at verses 20 and 21. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. It says here, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now here, this passage, these two verses present us with a prayer, a prayer if I would title this, be a prayer according to the will of God. A prayer according to the will of God. Have you ever wondered how to pray for someone? Or maybe when you pray and you think of other people, maybe loved ones, family members, maybe you have unsafe family members and you pray for their salvation. Uh, but maybe there's members of the church or other believers that maybe you don't know quite as well or you don't know exactly how to pray for them. And, and so how do you pray? Well, Lord... Bless sister so-and-so. Bless brother so-and-so. Help him have a good day. Um, you know, but how, how do we exactly pray? Now, a lot of times when there's a specific need, we might know, oh, pray for someone for their health needs. And, but you ever wondered when you prayed for their health, whether God intended for them to get better or not? And have you ever prayed for someone to get better and then they just died? You know, well, wait a minute. I prayed for them to get better and then they died. And you know, there's, <clears throat> there's some difficulties that come with prayer. And as we grow in our faith and as we grow in the Lord from being a new believer, sometimes even as children grow and as they begin to understand what the Scripture says, we, we grow in our understanding of prayer. And sometimes, you know, when we read through the book of John and in John chapter 15 and verse 7 where Jesus, you know, is speaking to his disciples and he says there... Um, he says, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. And then you think, well, if whatever I ask, I'll get, right? And, and so maybe we ask and don't seem to see prayers answered and we wonder. Or maybe uh, John chapter 16 and verse 24 where Jesus was just speaking to his disciples and he said, Hitherto or up to this point have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. And there are many promises in scriptures that we might read and think, well, we have not because we ask not. So therefore, if I ask, I'm going to get it. And then somehow, maybe we don't think we had our prayers answered. Well, of course, James talks about that. And James says that sometimes you ask with the wrong motive or ask amiss. Ask not according to the will of God. And how do you know when you're praying if your prayers are coinciding with the will of God, I mean, could it possibly be that you prayed and maybe the prayer you were praying was not God's will? You prayed for sister so-and-so to get well and live and she died. Wow, what, well, what happened? Was I not praying according to the will of God? You know, in the scriptures, sometimes we find people who were praying and their prayers did not coincide with the will of God. I think of David. Remember when his, after his sin with Bathsheba, there was a child that was born. The prophet comes and tells David, the child that is born is going to die. And what did David do? He fasted and he prayed and he prayed that the Lord would spare the life of the child. 
and the child died. Remember Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul was afflicted with some type of a physical ailment or some difficulty, and he called it a thorn in the flesh. And it was something that he really, he would have liked to have seen taken away. And, and I'm sure that Paul thought, you know, I, you know, God, I could minister much better if I didn't have this affliction. And he says there that I prayed three times that the Lord would take it away. And he didn't. And Paul's prayer really was not according to the will of God. What was God's will? Well, God actually revealed that to Paul. And he told him that, you know, my strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness. And when Paul understood that, then he rejoiced. You know, there are some difficulties in prayer. And when we pray, how can we, sure, how can we be sure that we are praying according to the will of God? Well, let me just call your attention to Romans chapter 8 real quick before we look at those, the verses before us in Hebrews. But in Romans chapter 8, in verse 26, we have this encouragement Paul says here, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit helps in our own weakness. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Have you ever felt like that? Certainly. I mean, I, I even feel this, I mean, as a 51-year-old, whether sometimes when I'm praying and someone mentions a request, oh, pray for my grandmother and, and she has cancer and you know, pray that she'll get better. And, I'll, and, and I want to say, Lord, have your will done. It may be your will that she, not, she doesn't get better, but it may be your will that she does get better. So I pray that your will will be done. But you kind of feel bad if you're praying in front of that person. Lord, if it's your will for that grandmother to die, let her die. And that, you don't want to come across as making people feel like you're praying for someone to die. But what do we pray for if the Lord will? So here the Spirit helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts. You know who that is? That's God. It's being here the Father. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Well, that stands to reason, does it not? Um, we've got the Trinity, God, in the three in one, and they're in complete agreement here. And so God, God knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So he that searcheth the hearts, or searcheth or studies the human hearts, he knows our motives. He says here, he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What a blessing and an encouragement that is, that the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers and He intercedes on our behalf in our prayer life. How? Precisely as He should, according to the will of God. So even though sometimes we do not know exactly what we should be praying for as we ought, the Spirit helps us in our prayers because He knows exactly what the will of God is. Now, let's go back to Hebrews 13. Here are these two verses, and they come here at the close of the epistle. And it's a benediction. A benediction. You've heard of a benediction? A benediction is a kind of a closing blessing or a closing prayer. Sometimes if you'll go to a church that may schedule, hand out a bulletin with a schedule of the service, it'll have an invocation. 
They think, oh, an invocation. What is that? That sounds real spiritual. Oh, that's an opening prayer. And then they might have listed there a benediction would be a closing prayer. So those are just some words there that you know, understand. <clears throat> so here's this benediction. There are many benediction prayers in the New Testament. And the interesting thing about every one of these prayers, and Paul has many of them in his epistles, they are inspired prayers. They're inspired prayers. They're given by the Holy Spirit. And this is one of them. This here at the end of Hebrews, verses 20 and 21, is an inspired prayer. You know, there are some things that we can pray for one another that will always be in line with the will of God. And this is one of those prayers. This is a prayer that you can pray for anyone, any believer. You want to know how to pray for another believer in Christ? Maybe you don't know exactly how to pray for them. You can pray this prayer. In fact, if there was any one prayer in the scriptures that I would want you to pray for me, it would be this prayer right here. This is the ideal prayer. It is according to the will of God. It is Holy Spirit inspired. So I want us to look at this today. <clears throat> you know, there's one, another one of the benedictions in the Old Testament. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with it. Coming from Numbers chapter 6, where God instructs Moses how to pray to bless the children of Israel. And what does he say? He says there in Numbers chapter 26, he instructs Moses to pray, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his um, countenance upon you and give you peace. I'm kind of misquoting it here. Um, there's, there have been songs written with um, the lyrics from this prayer, and sometimes this, the lyrics of the prayer uh, confuse my quotation of the King James English here. But <laughs> yes, I'll go back. It says, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Moses was instructed to pray that for the children of Israel. It's an inspired prayer, one given by God to, for Moses to pray. Well, we know that inspired prayers will always be according to the will of God because the Holy Spirit knows the mind of the Lord, knows the will of the Lord. And so here in Hebrews 13, we have these two verses. I want us to look at the structure of these two verses as we begin to study them out. Verse 20, verse 20 really is the address to God. It's the address to God, the, the invocation. And then verse 21 are the requests that are made. And then at the end of verse 21, it ends with a doxology. Well, what is a doxology? Doxa, that, it's a Greek word meaning praise. So it's a study of praise to God, to the doxology where he says, to whom be glory forever and ever. And then the closing word, amen. We'll talk about that word. So here's the structure of the prayer. An invocation, the request, ending with the doxology, and then a confirmation at the end. Let's note verse 20. Verse 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The invocation starts by addressing God. 
and telling us who he is. If you were to look at the prayer request, it would say this. Now, God, and then you drop right to verse 21. God make you perfect in every good work. But that whole first verse, really, the invocation speaks of who God is and what he has done before the request is actually made. So here in verse 20, who is this person? Who is the one they're speaking to in the God of peace? The request is being made of God. He is described as the God of peace. How many times in the New Testament do you read at the end, grace and peace be unto you and all the saints? Or how often does Paul start an epistle with grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the God of peace. He's the source of our peace. And in each of those epistles, Paul was praying for peace upon these believers. Peace in their hearts and souls. Peace in the midst of a world of conflict. Peace even in the midst of persecution. He is the God of peace. Now, we all desire to have peace. Peace is very important. The world's always talking about peace, but it's not the peace that God gives. In John chapter 14 and verse 27, as Jesus is speaking about leaving his disciples, and he is speaking about the comforter who was to come, he says this, Peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In John chapter 16 and verse 33, again, another passage there speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He says here, These things have I spoken unto you, his disciples, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In me ye might have peace. He is the source of peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He is the God of peace. Now the God of peace. And then he goes on and describes what the God of peace has done. And he describes this in terms of what? If you look at this passage here, he is talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the resurrection. The God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The resurrection, bringing again the Lord Jesus up, rising from the dead. But he mentions this, the blood of the everlasting covenant. What is the everlasting covenant? What is the eternal covenant? Well, Jesus speaks of it back in Matthew chapter 26 and 28. <clears throat> Matthew 26, verse 28, Jesus is there with his disciples at the Last Supper. What does he say? He takes the cup after dinner, and he says unto them, he gives thanks and says unto them, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the new covenant. Your Bible may say New Testament. That word is the same, the new covenant. It is the new covenant which is shed for many 
for the remission of sins. Hebrews, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant is in and through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has described this several times already in the book of Hebrews. But just for your remembrance, look back at chapter 8. Remember, remember chapter 8. He's talking about the priesthood. He's talking about Jesus. He's a better high priest. He is a priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens in verse 1. He is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. So he's not talking about an earthly priest. He's not talking about a priest after the line of Aaron. In fact, he says if he were on earth, he should not be a priest. Jesus could not be a priest here on earth. Why not? What is he referring to? He is referring to the fact that Jesus is not of the lineage of Levi. He is not a priest according to the Mosaic law which God gave. There were no priests approved of God on this earth for the Jews in their nation if they were not descendants of Levi, and in particular, Aaron, the high priest. And so this high priest, if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and, and shadow of heavenly things. Remember, it's just a picture of the true. Then he says in verse 6, But now hath he, speaking of Christ, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a what? A better covenant which was established upon better promises. This is that eternal covenant of which he speaks here in Hebrews 13.20. This is the new covenant in and through the blood of Jesus. Verse 7 in chapter 8 said, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be no need to have another. Or in the words of the verse here, if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. But now here he describes what God has done in terms of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our great shepherd. And he says here, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now, what's interesting about this is as you read this verse, there's a word that sticks out. You may not notice it unless you really give this verse a lot of thought. He's talking about the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through. That word through. You need to understand what that word is referring to. Did God raise Jesus from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant? If you're reading in plain English, that's what the verse seems to say. God did this, and the end says, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. But that's not what the verse is saying. That's not what it means. That's not the order of the words. The New American Standard actually has it better ordered. Probably don't have that with you today. But it leaves our Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ to the very end end. That's the last. What is he saying here? This verse actually is telling us that it is God 
who brought again from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep. And how did Jesus become the great shepherd of the sheep? Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. That is how Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. It's not how God raised Jesus from the dead. So I need you to understand that. You need to understand what that phrase is applying to. Jesus is our great shepherd through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now, if Jesus Christ had not been raised... He could not be the great shepherd of the sheep, okay, if he had not been raised. So Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep by virtue of the blood of the everlasting covenant. Everything involved in the new covenant is dependent upon what? It is dependent upon the blood of Jesus Christ and God's accepting of his sacrifice. Everything that we have in the new covenant, our salvation is entirely dependent upon the shed blood of Christ and upon God's acceptance of his sacrifice, which, of course, is revealed in what? In the resurrection. In the resurrection. The resurrection is the demonstration, the demonstrable proof that God accepted his sacrifice. And so here, at the end of the verse, it would say, even Jesus our Lord. Of course, this invocation is only for the people of God. It's only for God's people. This is not a prayer for an unbeliever. This is a prayer for believers. Then we come to verse 21. And I want us to note here the request. What is the request that the writer of Hebrews is asking God for? It says here, Now the God of peace make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. If you stop and meditate on that verse, and by the way, that's why I encourage you so much to memorize these verses. Those two verses have been such a blessing, even in my own life, just to read those and to see what they mean and how these verses can affect your prayer life. But here's the request, to make you perfect. That word does not mean sinless. He's not praying for sinless perfection. That word perfect means to equip. To equip you in every good work to do the will of God. To do the will of God. You need, you and I both, we need to be equipped to do God's will. And that word equip is very fascinating. Some of you like to study words, maybe on your computer at home. Go back and look this week at that word, equip, and see where it shows up in the New Testament. The same Greek word is used in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 21. There's Jesus. He's calling his disciples, and there's two of them. And what are they out doing with their nets? They are mending them. Mending them. That is the exact same word that is used in this verse, to mend. The word equip in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. 
It's someone who is fully trained. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, I'll let you note here the, <clears throat> the context. But Jesus is talking about the disciple. The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect, there's that word, everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Everyone who is fully trained. What do teachers try to do to their students? To train them to do what they're doing. Even in music. I see this all the time. I watch my children take music lessons. I teach music lessons. And I will sit down sometimes at the piano and play a passage and say, I want you to make it sound just like I played it. Or I'll tell my, my, my children as they're listening to the teacher, listen very carefully to the way the teacher is playing that passage. Make it sound just like her. Okay? One who is fully trained, he says, one who is fully trained shall be what? As his master. What did people recognize about the disciples after Jesus had ascended? When they saw the disciples, they took note that they had what? Been with Jesus. Why? They sounded like him. In fact, it almost got Peter in trouble. There he was at the fire when Jesus was going through the trials, getting ready to be crucified. And somebody said, hey, you were one of them because your speech sounds like him. And boy, what did he do? Boy, he turned on the cursing and swearing just to try to prove that, no, no, he wasn't with Jesus. But what is it? Here it is, one that is a disciple that is perfect or fully trained will be like his master or like his teacher. That word equip in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. Okay? It's not the word spiritual. It's the word restore. Restore such a one. Equip. Make you perfect. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 10, this word is used. 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10. <clears throat> Maybe I've got verse. Here we go. Night and day. He's talking about praying and giving thanks for them. He says, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Again, here, to complete, to add to, to complete and then Hebrews 10 and verse 5, Hebrews 10 verse 5, <clears throat> it says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. What word do you think that is in that verse? It's the word prepared, prepared. So here, this request the request is to make you perfect. Another way of we would, might word this is that the Lord might or may make you perfect. He's praying this of them as if it was something that had not yet been fulfilled but could be. And so he is praying to that end. That's the mood of the verb in the Greek. He's praying that this could and would happen. He's desiring something that was not yet the case, but certainly could and should be. We would say, may God make you perfect. 
Now, this is, of course, acceptable, and it's possible. This is pleasing to the Lord. You, know, you could say to someone, you know, I don't know what God's will is for you, but I can confidently pray that God will equip you to do His will. You see where, you see where He's going here? How can we pray effectively for other believers? How can we pray knowing that we're praying according to the will of God? We may not know whether they should get better or, or recover or die. We may not know exactly what the will of God is for the decision that they're facing, but how can we pray that God would equip them? There are some believers who are in need of mending. God, I pray for sister so-and-so. I know she's been through a real difficult struggle, and I am sure she is in need of mending. God, equip her. Mend her heart. Or here, being fully trained. Lord, help them to grow, to be fully trained in your word. Lord, restore. Restore this brother. Complete. Lord, prepare them. Prepare them for your will, for the work that you have for them. These are ways we can pray confidently that we're, and know that we are praying according to the will of God. Now look at this verse. He says, make you perfect or equip you in every good work to do what? Well, of course, to do his will. That's why we're here. To do his will. Why did Jesus come to this earth? To do the will of his Father. It was his sole purpose to do the will of his Father. He did not say a word that he was not given yet by his Father. He submitted himself here during his earthly life completely to the will of the Father. Every word he spoke, he says, I'm not speaking of myself, but the words which the Father gave me, those I speak. When Jesus was led, he was led by whom? He was led by the Spirit. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. The Spirit led him in everything he did. He did not come to act of his own accord. Jesus did everything according to the will of the Father. He's our pattern. And so here, to pray that fellow believers are equipped, equipped to do his will. Now, he says to do, and that brings us really to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Keep your finger in Hebrews chapter 13, but let's go back to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. In verse 12, he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He is not suggesting at all here that there's something, um, something of salvation by works. No. Salvation has to do with our justification. It is apart from works. But sanctification has everything to do with works. And so when he is saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, he is talking about the sanctification process, growing in your faith, working out your own salvation, flesh it out, demonstrate it through sanctification. Don't get those confused. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then note verse 13, for it 
is God, which worketh in you. He is the one who energizes you. He is working in you to do what? Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. His good pleasure, his will. And so here, it is God who is the one who is working in us. It is God who gives us the power. It is God who energizes us not only to do, not only to do his will, but to desire to do his will. To desire to do his will. It is God which worketh in you both to will, to be willing, to be made willing, and to accomplish, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Listen, if God doesn't change our will, then how are we going to do his good pleasure? Okay? Do you delight to do his will? What did Jesus say? I delight to do thy will, O God. That delight has everything to do with the will, the desire. Have you ever had to do something you didn't want to do? All the kids are going, yeah, I had to brush my teeth this morning. <laughs> I had to make my bed. I had to clean my room. But I sure didn't desire to do it. I just had to do it. Okay. Well, that's not the way the Christian life is to be. No, I'm not saying you're not supposed to brush your teeth. Yes, do that. What I'm saying is the Christian life is not one of just duty, do, do, do. But it's desire. I delight to do thy will, O God. And who is the one that causes us to delight? Do we just kind of work up some spiritual feeling and all of a sudden it's there? No, it's God. God who works in us to desire to do His will and also to accomplish that will for His good pleasure. It is God who does that. And so that's why this prayer is so, is so good for us and it's such a great example for us of how to pray. Lord, equip us in every good work to do to do what? Well, to do that which is well-pleasing in his sight. To do his good pleasure. The same thing that Paul said back in Philippians 2.13. Of course, all of this is through whom? Well, it says here, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Everything, everything that we do. Everything that we have, every blessing that, every spiritual blessing that we have is what? It's through Jesus Christ. Everything that we have is through Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. Paul says this, he says, For all of the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Everything that we have, all of the promises of God are in him. Everything we have is through Jesus Christ and because of him. 
course, we come here to the end of the verse, the end of this prayer. To whom, speaking of Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And how many times have we seen that in Scripture? This is a doxology. This is praise to the Lord. And he ends this prayer with praise to the Lord. To whom be glory forever and ever. And then finally, at the end of the verse, the word amen, which really is a Hebrew and a Greek word. It's just transliterated here. It's exactly what it sounds like over there. But it's written in English letters, so you can say it. Amen or amen. There it is. But what is the significance of that word? Well, it is an affirmation of certainty. You ever been in a church service where the pastor says, and all God's people said, and what do they say? They they say, amen. Now, I'm not one who just throws it out there. Because if you're saying amen, you better be absolutely confident and certain of that to which you are affirming. But this is a prayer given by the Holy Spirit according to the will of God, which we can absolutely affirm with confidence. So here he ends his prayer with amen. It's an affirmation of a certainty, knowing full well that this prayer is completely in line with the will of God. Amen. amen. You can say amen. It's okay. I, I, won't, <laughs> I won't disagree. In 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. John is giving some guidance about prayer, and he says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask, what's the qualification of that? What he just said in the previous verse, if we ask anything, what? According to his will. Remember that. Don't lose that little phrase because it goes down in here. And if we know that, if we hear us, whatsoever we ask according to his will, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Amen. There's a confident expectation of answer. Why? Because we are praying according to the will of God. Again, we come back to, well, how do I know what is the will of God? Well, the Spirit helps us to pray because He knows the will of God. But this verse here in Hebrews chapter 13 is absolutely according to the will of God. You can pray this for every fellow believer, confidently knowing that God will answer. And what is that prayer? Well, let's look at it again in its entirety now that we have looked at every part. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect, equipped to do what? In every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. I love that prayer. 
That is a great prayer. Parents, praying for your children. Children for your parents. Fellow church members for one another. Pastor for you. You for the pastor. You can be confident you're praying according to the will of God. And you may not know the exact details of how God is going to equip, but we know that that is God's, God's will, that he will equip us in every good work to accomplish what? That which pleases him. And that is only possible through Jesus Christ. And for that, we give him glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this prayer which is given to us. And Lord, how short it is, but Lord, how rich it is. And how wonderful, Lord, to, to know how we should pray according to your will. Lord, so often we don't know exactly what the will of God is. But we thank you for the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us because he full well knows the will of God. But Lord, we also thank you for this prayer here that absolutely is according to your will. And Lord, that we can pray this confidently for one another, knowing that it is an inspired prayer, a prayer that is in perfect accordance to your will and a prayer that we can anticipate and fully expect that you will answer. And Lord, we pray this in the name of our great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together as we close.